Welcome to the Subtle Reformation Podcast. We're so glad that you can join us. I'm one of the hosts, Ben. And I'm Stephen. And we're really glad that you've joined us to listen to us muse about formation and what it means for who and how we can be in this world. And welcome back to the Subtle Reformation podcast. It's great to have you uh, all joining us today. Uh, it's been a little bit of a, I guess, a break. It's been a while since we last uh, jumped on together and had a chat. But uh, part of that's been because uh, our wonderful leader, Stephen, has been uh, going through some personal stuff, which you'll hear about a little bit later in the episode. But today, uh, we're continuing to uh, look at our contemplation and in particular about our patterns and uh, just engaging with them uh, or noting them and stopping them. So we're going to hear how everyone, everyone has been going uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks. And so today on the podcast, we've got myself, Ben, Stephen, uh, Julia, and Tom. And so we're looking forward to hearing from uh, everyone today. I'm going to start this morning with the wonderful Julia. So Julia, why don't you uh, just share with us a little bit about how you've been going with this uh, part of contemplation, your patterns. Uh, engaging with them or disengaging from them? How have you been finding that the last couple of weeks? Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, it, it's certainly, I think, like we said, the the last time we were all together, it's it's confronting because you, you know, you are really, I guess, front and centre of awareness is, uh, is these behaviours or patterns that we've, you know, we've kind of um, ingrained over a long length of time. And I've been around, you know, for 48 years. So there's, well, I mean, maybe not the first few years of life, but there's quite a lot of years of development of those things. Um, and, and then partly relearning hey, along the way, you know, especially as we, uh, I guess for me, especially as I, you know, wanted to, um, uh, yeah, I guess just let let Jesus come into more parts of my life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's hard, I guess, because we've we've had um, a number of weeks for absolutely legitimate reasons off. I I guess one of my patterns is that I I tend to sort of when the momentum gets lost a bit, I tend to sort of just um, you know kind of fall back into um same old same old thing and and maybe not notice as um consistently uh these these patterns but certainly i i think there's there's been a few situations where um and unfortunately i can't give a lot of details because it's often it's around a whole bunch of other people because we're not doing this in isolation are we our patterns are usually patterns when we're you know, with people um, and, and oftentimes with, with people who, are, you know, we've been doing life with for a long time. And, uh, and, and I guess if we could let our patterns just kind of, you know, roll out, that would be fine. But then other people are kind of kicking back on our behaviours or... Um, so I guess, I guess one of the patterns that I've, I've been, you know, really recognizing is I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a bit of a life transition full stop because we're, our, our kids have moved out and, you know, life kind of resets in a different way between, um, myself and, and, uh, Ian and, you know, just, just noticing how I can, you know, disappear um often in you know into my own little world somewhere 
Um, and I mean, some of that is sort of just self-preservation. You know, you, you, you sort of trying to come to terms with what is going on in myself. And, uh, but unfortunately to others, it looks like you just vacated the, you know, you're not present. You're, uh, and you, you, you know, you're a bit emotionless and, uh, you know, so, so I, I guess I've No, Julia, I have no idea what you mean at all. <laughs> what you're saying so, is completely foreign to me. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I guess there's been, yeah, a few confronting moments of, um, you know, being, and, it, and the confronting has been that I, I probably could have gone along merrily, you know, just kind of continuing in this, but it's the response of, another person to your, you know, vacating the scene and, you know, do, do you care, you know, um, what, what's happening to you um, questions. So I, I've got to say that I, I, I partly, I mean, it, it's not the voice of God, it's the voice of someone else, but it is, it is the voice of God coming through another person to kind of just, wake us up a bit and um or for me sorry shouldn't just use general words wake me up and you know really get me to to address stuff that i i i know i absolutely know my pattern is well that'll just everything will settle down again it'll be fine just reset back to the way it was and um and i yeah i feel like there's there's you know the excuses that I, or something that I'm saying to myself, uh, are, are really not valid. And so, yeah, I guess it's just been a more deliberate, you know, daily, okay, God, we need to address this. It's, it's got to begin with myself and God, but also it's, it's, it's got to actually, you know, see itself worked out in action. So I know it's really vague and convoluted, but hopefully that gives people enough sort of go by without you know disclosing too many details so yeah definitely patterns and definitely um you know realizing that yeah we're still in formation we're still you know there's always there's always parts where god is wanting to really hone in on and and i guess we're afraid often to um to let god into that space but that's exactly where god wants to be because that's yeah. that's where the healing or the the transformation needs to take place so yeah fascinating yeah that's great that's really good thanks for sharing uh julia appreciate uh and and your honesty around the momentum thing totally totally um can um feel the same sort of thing for myself so thank you for sharing uh, this morning we're going to go to Stephen. Stephen, obviously, there's been a bit going on for you. So how have you been uh, finding this um, process in the midst of all that's been going on? Yeah, thanks, Ben. And can I I'll just say um, thanks so much, the three of you, for being so gracious um, in all of this. Um, th this, is a, this is a fascinating episode because... Um, yeah, about three weeks ago, my father fell. Um, uh, he um, he sustained a, an acquired brain injury, a significant brain injury, and then eventually died um, as a result of that. Um, and uh, I know, Ben, because you and I have been in a formation group together and, 
and uh, I almost called you Pat, um, Tom, because you're, <laughs> because you're using somebody else's um, account. <laughs> um, probably to a, to a lesser extent, Tom, you, you've heard stories about my growing up, but I've always had to be um, uh, careful about how I tell those stories. Because in short, I, I'm, a, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. Mm. And talking about being a survivor of domestic violence when the perpetrator is still alive and when you are still in relationship with the perpetrator, uh, it's, it's really complicated. But as I'll, as I'll mention as we, as we step through it, the, the things I felt I, I needed to do and the things I was encouraged to do, and when I say encouraged, I set up a little WhatsApp group with uh, some of the key blokes who have been in my life the last 15, 20 years. And I was, you know, as I was journaling, I was sharing excerpts of my journal with them on a daily basis. And I was, it was like being in a bloke's group for the entire two and a half weeks. It was, it was fantastic. That like being supported was fantastic. <laughs> Let me just be clear. And, and part of it was actually um, communicating to my dad about what he had done and the, the impact that it had had on me. And as it played out, this wonderful Catholic priest who's been a friend of the family for many years, um, just because of the ways in which we interacted, he, he got a hand, he got his hands on some of my writing. And the day before the funeral said, I think you need to share some of this stuff. And I was just saying to Julia before um, uh, Ben, you and Tom logged in, um, we, yeah, he encouraged me to share it at the funeral. And I thought this is, this is going to be pretty full up because you don't say bad things about people at a funeral. Yeah. You don't speak ill of the dead. Ironically, it was Shilon of Sparta who said of the dead, you know, nothing but good. But Shilon of Sparta also said, um, restrain anger. So that's, that's another interesting story for another day. And so I shared some of this um, in, in, in a public forum at, at the funeral, which was recorded, and the relatives now have a copy of. Um, so part of me is just waiting for the storm to see what happens when, when some family members go, you know, what the hell were you doing talking about your dad um, in, in this way? Um, so um, the last couple of weeks, have really been like this super magnified version of looking at my, my father's life and looking at my own life and thinking it is all about patterns. It is all about what is done to us. And it is all about how we then remember, I think we talked about it, Ben, maybe in, in season one, um, mm. by the age of 30, if you haven't transformed yeah. your pain, you will transmit your pain. Yeah. That's not a slogan. You know, the last couple of weeks have been that, you know, my life writ large. And so I thought what I might do just by way of um, trying to summarise um, what, what one of my dear friends <laughs> said was a, was a harrowing, you know, two and a half weeks. I told, um, I told three stories at my dad's funeral. And the first story I told was um, the day my dad got so angry um, and so violent, my mum had to evacuate us from the home. Mm -hmm. And a significant part of that story is when she evacuated us from our house whilst dad was still, you know, tearing apart the kitchen, because we had nowhere to go. And what that meant 
for me as a, a little boy, I was probably about seven or eight years of age when, they, when that happened. But then I told a second story of a time when my auntie on my mother's side, she had a breakdown, her kids were mucking around and she had a breakdown and she called our home. And my dad, without hesitation, jumped into the car, drove off and collected um, my cousins and brought them home. So they weren't even his nephews, they were, you know, my mother's nephews. And he brought them home and he cleaned them up. He was incredibly aggressive and, and, um, and, and my cousins were terrified. My sisters and I thought it was hilarious because we weren't subject to his anger at this point. But what struck me was this fella went and grabbed a bunch of kids who weren't his responsibility, cleaned them up, and then they stayed with us. You know, we, we, we fed them, we sat around the table, and we were this extended family. And then the third story is a story, I'm pretty sure Ben and Tom, you've never heard this story because it's too embarrassing for me to tell. Um, but I told it at the funeral. Um, when I was in year seven, I went on a bike ride with a mate and uh, we, we tried to pick up a couple of girls and it was just pathetic. Um, I was incredibly obnoxious. I was incredibly rude. It didn't work real well. And so we kind of took off and didn't really think about it. But I was on my distinctive red BMX and later on that day, um, my sister, my cousin and I went to the milk bar. I was on my red BMX and there was a Greek Orthodox church around the corner. And it had just finished and these well-dressed, you know, Greek kids came out of the service. And about 10 boys saw my red BMX and they just bolted towards me and, and had me up against the milk bar window in, in St Albans. And after a few seconds of my trying to figure out what's going on, I realised, oh my goodness, these are the friends of the girl that I was rude to earlier on this morning. And they tried to provoke me to throw a punch. I wouldn't throw a punch. They hit me and they were just waiting for me to do something. And I just thought this, I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden my dad turned up because my sister was inside the milk bar. She saw what was happening. She called my dad and he rocked up and he just flew at these guys. His anger and his rage, he just flew at these guys and they just scattered. And it was the most beautiful thing that I'd, I'd ever seen. My dad saved my life that day. And, um, and then I want to, I want to read the last little bit of the, so, so my eulogy was telling those three stories. And then I just want to read the last little bit. Yeah, sure. um, I said, the first story tells of my father's lasting legacy of anger and the violent ways in which he expressed it and the wounds that it has inflicted, leaving scars on my body and my soul that I carry this day for the rest of my life. The second story also leaves an enduring mark upon the shape of my life. For most of our married life, my partner and I, we welcomed young people, often at-risk young people, into our home. We've tried to live our lives in such a way as to give people that critical experience and experience of what it is like to have a home, to belong. The course of my life has, the course that my life has charted, <clears throat> seemingly without any attempt on my behalf, this significant part of who I am, whether I like it or not, whether it makes sense or not, is because of an unskilled, overworked, underpaid, migrant shift worker struggling to make some kind of life. On his day off from a gruelling job on Melbourne's waterfront, on a day where he by rights should have been trying to simply catch his breath and catch a break, he instead opened his meagre home to his wife's nephews without thought, without hesitation, Yes, dad was angry at the boys, at the situation, at the circumstances. His anger led him to what he concluded was simply the only appropriate response. 
this angry act that led to hospitality as dysfunctionally as it played out has powerfully shaped the course of my life because of what dad did in that moment. To me, every problem looks like a problem of belonging. And I feel like the only possible response is one of hospitality and welcome. I feel like I have to be this way, not because someone told me this is what we do or because I feel guilty or obligated. It's because it feels right. It's because someone, my father, showed me what to do. Over the years, I've, I've discovered, not from dad, but from others, that he quietly invited people into their home on several occasions. The third story is perhaps the most difficult for me. For the first time in my life, I felt his anger and aggression and power, not as something to fear or flee from, but something that could make me safe. This part of who Charlie was has also powerfully shaped the man I am today. There are many who have confided in me that my commitment to them, my commitment to their safety, the lengths I'm prepared to go in order to protect them, to keep them safe, the ways in which I have shepherded them through the moments where they've had to deal with the consequences of their unwise choices. These people have told me that um, they have been transformed as they have witnessed my anger at their injustice and my acting on their behalf. When I hear people speak of me in this way, I know without any doubt, this part of who I am is also due once again, not to what dad told me I should be, rather it is because of who and how he was in this world. This kind of life is not a consequence of following his advice. It's as a result of my instinctively following his irresistible example. Countless times I feel like I've come close to losing my mind when I try to reconcile these three stories, these three parts of who he was and what each part represents. How can a man in one moment terrify and brutalise his young son, yet in another be such a breathtaking example of care and concern? How do I reconcile these three seemingly irreconcilable stories? To say that Charlie was a collection of contradictions would, to be, would be the understatement of my life. There were times in my relationship with him where I was able to move beyond my own anger and my bitterness towards him. There were moments where I actively tried to understand. I tried to ask him to tell me stories about his childhood, what it was like in Malta, what it was like to migrate to the other side of the world, what it was like being a foreigner, trying to find work, facing the prejudice of race and class, trying to make a life. I don't feel like we were ever able to connect. I don't know if, he if I understood him. I don't know if he understood that I was trying to understand and that I cared. My relationship with my father was a constant up and down. When I no longer feared him, his contradictions brought us into conflict for the majority of my adult life. There have been stretches where I've chosen not to be in his life because it was just too hard. The last time we spoke prior to him having his brain injury was another one of our arguments. But I'm noticing something. I'm aware that the confused look that must have adorned my face when trying to figure out my father's contradictions is mirrored back to me in the faces of those around me. I see the look upon the faces of my partner and my children when they see me in one moment acting with great courage and nobility and in the next when I act with selfishness and cruelty. I realise that as I move between being a beautiful human being and a terrible one, often with a speed that can be deeply disorienting to those around me, I realise something. I realise that I too am a man of contradictions. I realise that I am my father's son. When I become aware, often too late, that I've made choices and decisions that hurt those around me 
and I crave nothing more than their understanding and their forgiveness, I realise that I am my father's son. I realise if people are ever going to accept the contradictions that exist in me, perhaps I need to accept the contradictions that existed in Charlie. Hear me carefully. I'm not saying that domestic violence is ever acceptable or excusable. Domestic violence is unacceptable. It is inexcusable, period. The Austrian psychologist Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The task at hand, my task, is to find that space between stimulus and response, to reflect in that moment and in that moment to make a decision to choose not to be the worst parts of Charlie, but to choose to be the best parts of Charlie. My task is in that moment between stimulus and response is to realize that one of the greatest gifts my father has bequeathed to me is a righteous anger that if harnessed can be a gift to the world. My task is not to try and reconcile the contradictions. My task is not too different to Charlie's task when he made his way to Australia as a teenager with nothing and attempted to make a life. My task is to take the hand that I've been dealt and to do my best. And then I concluded by saying, Dad, for the ways in which you've wounded and broken me, I forgive you. Dad, for your examples, for the great and beautiful gifts that you've bequeathed to me, I'm forever indebted and I'm forever grateful. And I think um, the patterns... I don't think we're ever going to get away from the patterns. It's not about trying to, it's not getting rid of something. It's not trying to erase something. It's not about lobotomizing ourselves. It's, it's about seeing them and wondering, imagining what they might look like if they were to be redeemed, if they were to be made holy, if we were able to pause long enough for God to meet us in that moment and transform them and redeem them. So the last two and a half weeks have, have been all about seeing not just the patterns in my own life, but seeing very clearly where they come from and then seeing that they have developed as coping mechanisms to cope with an extraordinary, an extraordinary terrible um, situation and an environment and realising that at that point in time, they saved my life, but they have to change. They have to be transformed. And then seeing the patterns in my family and my extended family, it's funny, I, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, both Tom and Ben, you've heard me say this before, you know, in the Old Testament, it says, you know, the, the, the sins of the, the father are visited upon the third and the fourth generations. I get that now. <laughs> It's not some sort of mystical, overly spiritual, you know, guff. <laughs> it's we repeat the life that we've experienced, which is the life that those prior to us have experienced. And can we see the patterns? Can we see what we're doing? And can we consciously make choices, as Frankel says, between the stimulus 
and the response. I'm going to keep waffling, um, so I should probably stop because so much has happened in the last um, two and a half weeks. Yeah. But that's probably the best way I can summarise um, what has happened. But I just want to I just want to make um, a couple of points. The first one is. I, I had some really good mates say to me, you know, you have to record what's going on. And it was excruciating because, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to be with someone who's dying, but there's so much you have to do. There's paperwork and departments you need to deal with. There was just like, I was just chronically tired and I just had to fight to make the time each day to sit down and to, you know, spend at least five, 10, 15 minutes um, on the odd occasion being able to do so for 20 minutes recording what was going on. And I'm so glad I did because I've got a really valuable record because I, 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 there's still so much more to process, mm. um, but, but I've got a record that I can refer to and being held accountable, um, being held accountable by a couple of people who are holding me accountable to be, to, to do the good. Um, not just not to do the bad, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm going to hold you accountable, make sure you don't do bad things but being held accountable by people who can say, we know the good that you are capable of and pointing out when you do do the good during the day. Those have been really super encouraging, super helpful things. I'm going to stop because I've talked a lot. No, that's great. I almost wouldn't mind if you didn't stop. Like, I mean, as in, you know, you say you've been waffling for a while, but I'm like, oh man, this is really good stuff. <laughs> I'm yeah. just up. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And it feels a bit like, okay, Tom, you've got to go next. Good luck to you, mate. Like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it feels like almost anything we say will um, be trivial in comparison, but all of it is still significant for each of us. So there's none of this uh, competitive nature to it. So, um, yeah, because take- the way we hurt people um, it hurts people. It, it, yeah. it doesn't matter whether, whether it comes from a dramatic set of circumstances or an incredibly mundane set of circumstances. Mm. You know, the ways in which we cope, we dehumanise ourselves, And then if we cling to those coping mechanisms, we dehumanise other people. And all of that mm. causes pain. It, it, it doesn't matter how we inherited it, you know. So it, every, yeah. every story is legitimate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But thank you for sharing yours um, over the last couple of weeks, Stephen. Like, um, that was, yeah, loved that. yeah, that was wonderful. powerful to hear. So thank you. Thank mm. you. But we will talk to Tom for a little bit. Tom, how have you been going for the last couple of weeks engaging with this sort of stuff? Yeah, I really love, like, I just, I really love how Stephen's story kind of just brings at the meaning of, you know, what we've all been observing here as a group. It almost just summarizes the experience and, and what we're doing. Because I've been thinking about, you know, the the practice that we've really taken of trying to observe these patterns and a lot of these ideas, but I've never seen them put together and all the dots connected so, so perfectly, so meaningfully. Um, so, yeah, just I'm really just letting that sink in. Uh, but whilst I'm also processing that, I'm, I'm happy to talk. Yeah, so, so I've been... I guess we've all been preempting a little bit, paying attention to our patterns. Um, I think it's become obvious to me at this point that you can't, there's like what, six phases we've kind of laid out for this process, but none, like you, you almost have an emphasis 
for a week or a couple of weeks for this last one. Um, but all six points of the whole exercise, all six phases, I suppose, of it kind of are always happening all the time at this point, um, I've noticed. So, I, yeah, I feel like it's almost like the experiences that we have where we really get to look at ourselves with a lens. Like, I, I feel like it's been, it's been interesting to do this in lockdown. It's been interesting to do this with assignments. It's been interesting to do this having a couple of experiences, but not a lot because of lockdown. But during each of them, having different opportunities to see the patterns emerge. So there's been some, some things that, I, yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm still very much in the process of kind of still observing. I know we're preempting at this point and there are some patterns that I've noticed, but I'm, I'm always observing. I guess mm. one pattern that I've kind of noticed lately um, that I've, I've tried cutting out of my life, every single time that I feel like either sadness, inadequacy, inferiority, or um, anger, mm. or like there's a whole lot of motivating, I suppose, triggers that cause me to act in certain different ways that help me cope with the ways that I feel. Um, and I, it's, I can now see the line between, oh, I feel this way, that makes me want to do this. And I can see how the pat, yeah, I can feel the pattern um, wanting to happen within me. Like, oh, I feel, I feel a bit anxious. I wouldn't mind like having a glass of Sablanc. <laughs> um, I feel a little bit, you know, um, I feel a little bit lost. I want to watch YouTube for, for hours and, and just get lost and escape in that. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose at, at this point, my version of preempting is, is kind of trying to, yeah, like, like Steve mentioned, taking out some of those things. Like I'm, I'm going, I'm trying to just not have any alcohol. I'm trying to not use my phone anywhere near as much and maybe cut out some of the things that I usually use to cope and just see what happens. Mm. Um, and it's just like, I guess for me, because it's so easy to unconsciously just repeat, 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 repeat. It's almost like, okay, well, what now? You know, because <laughs> if I'm not going to do that, I've got to do something. I haven't figured out what I should do. Um, so that's the space that I feel like I've, I've kind of been in lately. I have had a little more time on my hands and these feelings, um, I'm not just say, experiencing a feeling and then dealing with it, like coping with it, experiencing a feeling, coping with it. I'm kind of like experiencing a feeling, continuing to experience it. What am I supposed to do with it that is better than what I've been doing with it? Um, and yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I think, I think I'm now in the stage of kind of, um, yeah, trying to see what healthy ways or healthier ways could be. Kind of like. So, Tom, with the, with the what now moment, is it a terrifying what now or is it more of a childlike, you know, wonderful, oh, wow, what now? Well, look, I'll give you an, an exact example, right? 
I you are um, being recorded. I just want to remind you. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I'll give a harmless example. <laughs> um, so I would wake up in the like this. This giving example of this. I I could wake up in the morning and not really have a a plan for my day. Um, and when I don't know what to do, there are things that I do. Um, one of those might be I'll sit down on the couch and I'll just watch a YouTube video. And that will lead to another one that leads to another one until all of a sudden three hours have passed. And then the first option that comes up for the day I'll take in terms of what I do. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess waking up and, and not doing that, I'm literally like, okay, I don't know what to do. Do I make a plan for the day? Um, what, what would it look like to actually choose what I do with my day rather than just give it to whatever, give it to the, options that come up that seem most in front of me um yeah and i guess like that that can lead me to call a friend i haven't spoken to um in a while or yeah anyway so that's that's a that's an example i suppose genuinely feeling like i don't know what to do i've got to figure out what to do um it's funny having two of the same enneagram types because <laughs> As you're talking, I'm watching Julia cack herself over there on the other <laughs> camera. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see her cacking herself. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. How, how about you, Ben? How, um, how uh, have you been tracking with it all, mate? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's been interesting for me uh, because, as we know, I've been up in Queensland and life has very quickly returned back to normal. And so it's been interesting... How to describe it? I feel like when we first started on this, there was um, just a greater sense of okay, there's there's a newness to what's happening just in the world around me. So maybe there's some new patterns and some new thoughts, some new ways of um, being that you can step into. But then it kind of feels like now it's like okay, um, I'm almost back to how things were before, and it's funny to see how. I guess like that leads me to kind of um, respond similarly. So, you know, one of the patterns that we talked about a few weeks ago for me is that I often have a predisposition towards activity. So in the sense of if I'm sitting doing nothing, I try and find something purposeful to do. And it, it felt like it was easier to try and, um, I guess, work against that, you know, choose a different um, way of being when when I actually felt like I had more time or more freedom or less n normality and routine whereas now I just feel like like I'm straight back to it I'm just into this this habit again of if I don't have something to do I'll find something to do um, and it's just like little things like uh, I'm on my phone more now because I'm used to using it more to make phone calls, send texts, send Facebook messages, whatever it is to communicate for my job, um, to get in contact with the people that I'm working with. Like it's just forced me back down that rabbit hole. And now I find myself, I'm sitting at home, you know, maybe with 15, 20 minutes before Rage gets home. And it's just like, oh, um, I'll just get on my phone. I'll just send a couple of messages to some people, you know, while I wait. And it's just been, yeah, I think that's been interesting for me that it's almost like the context that I find myself in is um, 
old again in some way. And so I find myself falling back into old habits again. So that's probably been the biggest reflection for me, just in that sense of um, it's been interesting to note that as my environment heads more back to normal, I find a greater awareness of just old ways of thinking and being and doing um, have been like springing back up, which I, I think is to be expected in some sense. I, I don't know why I probably didn't expect that. I thought maybe oh, in these, you know, weeks there where things have been different, I'll have changed so much that I won't go back. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I probably underestimated the, the impact of what goes on around you in the context around you. Like Tom said, like the, the triggers or the situations that you find yourself in have changed again. And so mm. my habits have changed in light of that. So, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that I've been kind of thinking through or noticing anyway. And now the question almost comes to like, okay, so what do I need to do now to kind of change some of that? Um, you know, now that I feel like context and environment are shaping me more than I realized, what does that mean? How do I, I guess, choose to behave differently now? Ben, you, you're, you're a gym goer, aren't you? I sure am. Yeah. Cause as I was listening, I was just thinking about, um, you know, from a martial arts perspective, from a, like from a gym perspective, that, that, um, you know, the process of, you know, particularly, um, gym, if you're doing any kind of weight work, you know, you've got to, you actually have to break down the muscle and then allow it to rebuild itself in, in different ways. And at, at the same time, thinking about, um, uh, you know, martial arts and the time it takes for you to develop a particular skill or a particular response. I was just thinking about time and timing um, mm. because we've, got, we've only been giving ourselves a week for each of these things. And it's different for different people. Some people, you know, it's just a split second. Oh, I'm never going to do that again. And they're able to do it. Yeah. Others, it might take us weeks or months. Others, it might take us the rest of our lives. But I was just thinking about that as um, I was uh, listening to you and then, you know, projecting back that over, you know, what Julia and, and Tom were saying. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'd be interested in your response. Thinking about what in terms of the breaking down of um, my old habits to form new ones or? Well, you know, you've got, you've got this awareness, you've had this experience, you've, yeah. you, you've deliberately chosen to behave differently and yeah. now you're finding yourself falling back. So, you know, if you, were, if you were your own personal trainer in relation to this, you know, what would you be advising, Ben? What would you be suggesting to oh, Ben I in terms you. of, you know, what's, what's, you know, so that might work for Stephen, you know, and Julia, it might work in this way. But Ben, how might this work for you? That is a good, good question. I think for me, it's probably, um, it's really trying to return, like have a, um, a bit of a clearer idea of what it is that I'm aiming for. I think, you know, like there's a sense of, um, that's probably a good question with like the PT thing. When you kind of go to the gym, you go, okay, there's a, um, a certain goal that you're working towards, whether for some people it's, you know, like, trying to lose weight or trying to gain strength or 
you know, trying to gain mobility or just, you know, cardiovascular endurance, whatever it is. Um, so I guess almost coming back to, okay, what is it that I'm really aiming for again? And what does it look like for me to move towards that? So, yeah, I think that's probably what I need to do. I just need to reset and go, okay, situations and circumstances have changed. Environment that I find myself in is changed again. Um, but in the midst of all of this, what am I really aiming for? You know, what, whether that's like, and that's probably what I've got to figure out, whether it's like, you know, different behavior or whether it's different responses or, um, yeah, different choices in certain moments. You know, like I said, that small example, maybe it's a different choice instead of going on my phone and sending a message. It's, I don't know, like when I wait for Rachel, just go sit out the back on our, um, you know, little back patio area and just look outside and just don't take my phone out there with me. Just sit and look and think and be. So I'm not in this habit of, you know, like I've kind of knocked off work for the day, but I'm still working on things kind of attitude. Like that's probably just a small example, but it's probably little things like that. But yeah, good question. Probably figuring out that's what I need to do. Figure out again, who am I still trying to be in the midst of all of this? And, uh, and what do I need to do um, from there? So yeah, that's probably me, which is, which is always interesting. But I guess that's, um, that's kind of um, interesting in that sort of sense. Like, yeah, it's always weird just like listening back and like, I mess, I guess some of this is almost like um, talking to yourself. Like it's like coaching yourself through this. Um, like, like you said, like a PT. Um, so yeah, anyway, like I said, that's me. So I don't know. Any thoughts, Tom? Oh, no, we've lost Tom. We can't hear him. Oh. We have, but that's all right. He's, that um, is all right. He'll jump back on. Thanks, Ben. That, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's good to, um, you know, just hear you working it through. I know, I know thanks for being vulnerable about that because I, I think that that's, yeah, that's, that's always... I mean, Stephen's put you on the spot with it, but um, yeah. but, it is, but it is good to just. I mean, there's there's something in that to continue to, um, yeah. I mean, the word work is is uh, comes to mind, but but work is in you know conversation with God, isn't it? And and that 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 Victor's um, quote around somewhat somewhere between these you know, a stimulus and a, a response is, yeah. is this opportunity to, uh, to, to just kind of pause or, you know, look at some um, ways in which, some simple ways in which you could, you know, maybe, um, yeah, do, do things a little differently. So, yeah, I think it's great, Ben, and, and it'll be good to hear uh, a bit more from you next week with um in relation to that because we're all yeah. we're <laughs> we're all in that and it, you know and the danger is that you you just go oh, look yeah and then kind of move on things get busy again and and we just find ourselves you know perpetually cycling through and and being the same so 
yeah, it definitely is those that that moment or numerous moments in which we can just gradually see some shift happen. But it's it's a deliberate. It's got to be deliberate, hasn't it? It can't just yeah. be. Oh yeah, look, I'm just I am who I am, and um, and 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 somehow I guess it's you know this this. There's, there's this sense of us becoming, you know, a, a, a fuller, somehow more, more like the person that we know we were created to be, um, which sounds really, can sound really convoluted, but I, mm. I think there's, yeah, when you, when you have a vision, you like, there's something in you, it's not, it's not just about, oh, I'm just, you know, beat ourselves up all the time, it's that we, we somehow know that that there is a, a different way of being, and that there's something drawing us towards that, towards that kind of letting go of of what feels like it's going to kind of keep us in a very low level of existence or behaviours, and then you know moving towards something something better, something because that's again you know when you know that you're kind of letting all gradually sort of you know, developing something so that it's better, you, you then are able to sort of let go of some of that, um, that other aspect of yeah. the, the old. So I think we've got Tom back. Yes, Tom yeah. back. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, lovely. I don't know what happened. I started talking and then I was like, oh, you guys can't hear me. Oh, Ben's just talking over the top. <laughs> no, um, couldn't hear no, but- at all. No, I was just saying, like after hearing what you were speaking about, I, I feel like I understand why this is meant to take the way that the assignment was made. Um, the the practice of the whole thing we're doing is meant to go over one year, not six weeks. I totally yeah. understand that. Like Steve is like level one hundred maxed out. Um, he's done this a million times. I think, yeah, for for I think for me, it's definitely very new. Um, very, yeah, very much still trying to, um, yeah, understand the whole world of paying attention to these things. Um, so yeah, and one of the things that you said, Ben, like trying to be more conscious of your actions, that impulse that you get as soon as you wake up to check your phone, to look at your phone, to stop that. And, and then kind of not feel that void. I feel like, it, it, yeah, it's a strange thing of like, okay, well, what, what do I do? How do I? Yeah. I totally relate to that. No, it's good. It's good. Well, thanks for your, um, your reflective listening, guys. But we should, uh, should probably wrap up for today. And yeah. so tell us, what are we meant to be doing? Wrapping up for uh, all, all in prep for next week. Yeah, well, yeah. next week, next week's the season two wrap up. So I guess just keep looking for patterns and pick up any that you're noticing and maybe engage in trying to change them when you, when you notice them. But uh, I guess we'll probably, well, I guess we'll probably for, for the wrap up kind of talk a more, a little bit more about what we've learned over the whole experience. And mm. I think Stephen might give a little bit of advice about where to from here. Like he, like you just said, Tom, uh, what do you do when you've just practiced something for six or seven weeks that, you know, normally is a year long, um assignment slash experience so um yeah i think it'll be interesting to hear what steven has to say about that but otherwise if you guys can keep thinking about that and those listening along uh with us keep engaging with it keep thinking about it and maybe think about those same things yourselves what have you learned and uh 
and get ready to hear about where to from here uh, for each of us. But it's been great, great to reconnect, great to, to see your faces and hear your voices. And um, yeah, looking forward to, to hearing next week what you've been learning and, and what we've got in store uh, going forward. But yeah, thanks for today, guys. It's been great. And uh, for those listening, uh, we hope you've enjoyed today. And uh, we hope that uh, God is continuing to be at work in your life and uh, you continue to see yourself formed into the person that you were made to be. But uh, other than that, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.